Genki uses two Chinese characters. One is origin, and the other one is qigong. Qi, we say qi, but we, in Chinese it's qi. And qi means our energy. The origin of energy is genki. And often we use it as a more spiritual way of bringing up your enthusiasm that is contagious and lively and animated. We are the origin of Genki. That's what I love about the word Genki so much. And I'm often called, you, you are such a Genki person. And I loved it when I was in Japan. That is author, award-winning speaker, and life coach, Misako Yoke. And this is episode 15 of the Ikigai podcast. Find your Ikigai at ikigaitribe.com. This is Nick Kemp with episode 15 of the Ikigai podcast, and I have a very special guest, my Twitter buddy, Misako Yoke. Thank you for coming on to the podcast, Misako. Thank you so much, Nicholas. I'm very happy to be here today. Awesome. Now, we are Twitter buddies, and I actually reached out to you. Not sure how I stumbled upon you, but I saw you were posting these beautiful photos of where you currently live, which is in Washington, and not Washington, D.C., but Washington State. And I found out you um, are a personal development coach and you have your own method, which you call Genki Habits, but you're also a speaker and an author, and you have just released your new book, Take Heart, You're Stronger Than You Think. So congratulations on your new book. Thank you so much, Nicholas. I put everything I've got into this book, hoping to help people with this difficult situation. We are actually stronger than we really are. So just a reminder of, little reminder from me with my life stories. I hope to help you. Yes, I read it and I was shocked because you, you reveal so much of your life and you certainly had quite a few challenges and through it all, you've turned all those challenges into a, a valuable learning lesson and, and you've decided to share that with hopefully many readers who will purchase your book. So thank you. And I learned quite a few things from the book and, and one of them was really sh- interesting and it shocked me because it was this superstitious idea that, as you write, you were born in the worst zodiac combination. And in English, it's called fire horse. And in Japanese, it's hinoe uma. Hinoe uma, yes. Do you want to describe what hinoe uma is? Thank you for asking. Yes, I'd love to. This is I often avoid when I talk to Japanese people because that scares them. We adapted Chinese zodiac system, the year of horse, year of mouse, year of dog, and so forth and so on. In a conversation, if you say, I'm snake, that's fine. I'm dog, that's fine. But if I said, I'm fire horse, Mm -hmm. they say, I hear gasps because it's Comes it always comes in sixty years, and that is believed. I don't really know the origin, but the strongly believed the babies born in fire hose will bring bad luck 
to your family and future husband and his family. But is it, it's only women, is it? It is. Yeah. I never heard of being bad about being a fire horse man. Only fire horse women is <laughs> fire horse girls. <gasps> you know, as we talked before I started recording, in the West it would sound like almost like something positive, like you're a strong woman and you have fire and you're confident. But in Japan, yeah, I had no idea this superstition existed. And they, they obviously took it very seriously when you were born because – that year, birth rates were, lo- were low, and I read one article that suggested there were even forced abortions. True. So I was shocked that kind of superstition existed in Japan. Yes. Throughout the grade school and junior high school, high school, our age group is the smallest student in the class. So it shows less competition, and in a way, it served well for us. But many parents avoided to have babies. That's really significant. And I saw it in my life, experienced every, almost every day. And often teacher told us, you are bad luck. You were basically bullied by your teachers and other adults. Shocked me. And it does remind me, bullying seems to play a, a big part in um, children's schooling. Unfortunately, that's true. Yeah, which is really quite sad. I didn't know this fire horse zodiac year was that significant. But it obviously um, shaped you, as we'll discover as we talk, talk about your life. But in the book, you describe yourself as a Genki person. You're, you're lively, enthusiastic and full of energy, and I'm going to quote, sometimes my excess energy causes problems, and I have to admit that I have a little spark of insanity. Do you want to touch on that? I have to admit, yes. (laughs) Thank you. I would love to, yes. I was growing up in Japan, and I was trying to fit into the society. I knew enough what I was expected of. As a Japanese woman, I tried to fit in, but it didn't go well. And often I was seen as a weird one, and kids avoided me. And some kids contacted me, and they ended up being bullied from other kids. Then they left. So I had to develop myself not to becoming too victimized, victim mindset. So I develop myself. I'm a weird one. So I'm okay. Bring it on. It's good to be weird. That's true. (laughs) That's true. You usually end up doing something that most people don't do. I needed you when I was great at the grade school. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been your friend. Yeah. Obviously it shaped you in a positive way, but with it, there was a lot of pain. And I guess in a way you were an outcast within your own school and, and maybe your community. But that's, let's move on a positive direction. So Genki means full of life, a state worth aspiring for. And most people would know this word because they know it's used as the, the greeting of Genki Deska, how are you? But Genki has various meanings related to both physical and, and mental state. Um, 
So I remember in Japan, if you saw a, a fit person, you could say, oh, I don't know if they'll People would look at you and say, ah, Genki Sone. Sure. If you looked tired or sad, they might say, Oh, no. Genki Nai now. Do you want to touch on some of the meanings of Genki? Of course, I'd love to. I just, I was enjoying you saying Japanese phrases and <laughs> yes, Genki, <laughs> Genki Ne. Genki is used, Genki uses two Chinese characters. One is origin and the other one is qigong, qi. We say mm. qi, but we, in Chinese it's qi. And qi means our energy. The origin of energy is genki. And often we use it as a more spiritual way of bringing up your enthusiasm that is contagious and lively and animated. That's we are the origin of Genki. That's what I love about the word Genki so much. And I'm often called you, you are such a Genki person. And I loved it when I was in Japan instead of you, you're weird. <laughs> sometimes that means you're weird. You are, you are, you are too Genki means sometimes, uh, you are too weird. But I loved the meaning of Genki is origin of energy. Also, yes, not only physical and sometimes we are Genki, but not Genki at the same time because it's got physical well, well-being and spiritual well-being. Genki has both sides. It's a great word. I also love the sound of it. Me too. And I know some people, it's a given name. Maybe the country's different. That's right. I wonder what that's like if you were called Genki. I love it. Hey, Genki, Genki desu all, all that kind of, <laughs> I probably hear that all the time. I probably would adore if I had a son named Genki. <laughs> I just love it. When I moved in American Samoa, no one, not so many people know Japanese word. And then when I introduced Genki written down, they read it as Genki like gentleman, <laughs> soft G. <laughs> so I explained them and asked my friend, how do I say Jenki, not Jenki, it's hot G. And one person, my Twitter buddy, told me, oh, it can be gain key. You gain key. Ah. That is, sounds nice and I really appreciate it. And I, since then, I usually use Genki as a Genki, when I write something e- in email, I explain, pronounce as Genki, and that explains everything so well. That does. Yes. As you know, my wife's Japanese, and she has seven aunts, and one of them is just, I mean, they're all Genki. They're all, I mean, they're all in the 80s, but they're, mm, they're nice. quite fit and healthy, and I remember if I'd say, oh, Obachan, Genki, she'd go, oh, Genki, Genki. <laughs> <laughs> she'd be so happy. So, yeah, it's a great, it's a great word. So I think it's a great word to use for a coaching model, which we'll talk about your, your coaching model of Genki habits. But yes. before we go there, let's talk about your life as a wife in Japan and how that 
became, I guess, a source of conflict with with you as your true self being this this genki person. Right. So you write, in Japan, a good wife is quiet, agreeable, and obedient, but I was none of these things. <laughs> it still makes me chuckle. I, love I was bad. I love that line. That was really, that's really, you're brutally honest straight away. Yes. Well, it's it's better I say it before someone finds it. I learned it all the way, so I decided to tell everything. This is me. I hope I wrote in Japan a good wife is, but I hope that it's not true anymore, mm-hmm. that wife was. I hope but I haven't been able to go back to Japan for uh, almost five years, and I don't really know the current situation, but I hope. It has been changed. It's not fair for a lot of women because not so many people are quiet, agreeable, and obedient. When you get a certain age, you have developed yourself, then it's difficult to be obedient without thinking. We have opinions, and we want to discuss and build relationship based on who we are. But someone tells you, being a good wife means obedient, that will shut the door to be yourself. Yeah. Don't say anything. So I hope that has been changed. Yeah. I think it's it's changed to some degree, but I think Japan's still sort of maybe behind mm. the rest of sort of the developed world. I mean, I remember when I went to Japan and I used to love learning, you know, words and phrases. And I remember learning Jimsho no Hana. Ah. Yeah. And at the time yes. I thought it was cool, but then on reflection soon after I realized, gee, you know, to describe um, female office workers as office flowers and they're, they're there just to make the environment more beautiful or cheerful or beautiful. And we are going to wilt. That's not that's not a way we we want to be seen. We want to be part of the team. But that was true. Shokuba no hana is what we were expected of. Okay, so that and would be workplace flowers. Yes. It certainly gave me insight into how Japanese, I guess the social roles of what Japan were back in the the nineties and I think Hopefully it's changed. But for you, someone who was ambitious, clearly you were ambitious. You wanted to continue working after you married and, um, and you know, you get married. And then soon after that, everyone's expecting, so I guess you're going to quit soon. And Right. And you had this experience where you're I'm not sure who he was, but obviously your manager said, oh. Yes. Let's, let's have a chat after work. Hey there, Nick Kemp here, and I wanted to touch base and let you know about my new course, the Fine Juru Ikigai course. Developed in consultation with Japan's leading Ikigai researchers, the Fine Juru Ikigai course is the only culturally accurate and evidence-based practical guide to the Ikigai concept. If you are interested in learning more about the Find Your Ikigai course, please visit ikigaitribe.com. Now back to the episode. 
true. Right after I went back to work after wedding ceremony and so forth, I was greeted by my boss and he said, congratulations. I took you off from the leadership training. And I said, what? Why? I was in shock. Why? I'm still the same person you hired, you promoted, you put me into that leadership class because you saw me as a potential leader role. Then how it changed in overnight just because I got married. But he didn't listen. He was set. And his wife did the same thing. His subordinate's wives, everyone left the company. So his normal, double quotation, normal was for me to quit job. And probably he was expected, he was expecting me to say, I am going to leave this con- company in a few months or let's set the date mm. so I can hire someone who can take over my position. But no, I was full of ambition and wanted to continue. And it became argument and it didn't end well. I didn't leave until I made a huge mistake. I couldn't just give up my job because that was who I was. Wanted to complete the job I was aiming to. I was the first manager of HR and I had, the company was headed to becoming public and everyone is getting more job and tasks and everything. And I was always so irritated because I had to take care of household. When I go back to home, my husband is angry because I didn't make dinner. That's right. And yes, I had to scramble something to healthy to eat. And after the dinner, I had to clean up everything and clean the house, laundry and everything. He didn't do it. He didn't have to do anything and I had to do every household. <laughs> then it wasn't too, it wasn't fair, I thought. So yeah, you had one boss, one boss basically say, oh, now you're married. I guess, yeah, you don't want to be on the leadership team and you'll be out of here soon. So I'm <laughs> taking you off. And obviously that was really important for you. That's a decision you worked hard for and you were the only uh, female in that team. Yeah. And you worked hard to get there. Yes. I guess we can talk about this because it is in your book. I mean, you you did work in the same company with your husband. Yes. And we we won't go into the details, but you did end up getting uh, divorced. True. And then once that was, obviously people were going to find out in your workplace, then once that happened, that's when you were taken, you know, you had this chat after work with not not your boss, I think it was someone else. HR's manager. And this is where he in, he really didn't tell you anything. He just inferred that if if you don't leave, you're going to become a Madogiwa Zoku. Yes. Which is a, yeah, do you want to describe that conversation and what he was, in, you know, what was he, he was inferring would happen? True. Yes, of course. Madogiwa Zoku is, in English, it's translated into window tribe and in my era, the company didn't fire anybody. That was a lifetime commitment from both sides. And if one person didn't meet the criteria to be an employee, 
company will push you to not good position. You are not given second chance. Just you are taking away all your responsibility, also credibility. Just be there. Come to the office. Sit next to the window, close to the entrance. Greet everyone, and everyone passes you. Will look down you. You are Madogiwazoku person. You are eating without contributing anything, anything to this company. That is a torturing position. And the, in the conversation with my HR in, in my book, the boss of the HR, and clearly he expected me of getting it without him saying right. too obvious. Mm. So he, he couldn't be blamed later on. He didn't say, he sent a lot of signals. And that I was getting it because I grew up in Japan. I was trying to get the signals, but somewhat my spark of insanity blocked it. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. La 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 was <laughs> in my brain was doing, but that questioned me. Is this what I wanted to do? Yeah. That was my second company. So I thought I got divorced. So this is my area. I can put all my energy into it. But do I need to pursue my fire for being Madogiwazoku? Am I going to be able to be Misako? Mm. That was a lot of questions loading on, on me. So that was kind of breakthrough moment leading to my breakthrough moment. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a brutal punishment for not even doing anything wrong to make someone useless and publicly humiliate them every day. And I think they still, you would still get paid. Yes. But we're basically going to say, right, we're not going to give you any work, any responsibility. And every day you'll have to endure being reminded that you mean nothing to this company. I can't do that integrity and human integrity is my dignity and mm. so forth. And I couldn't do it. Maybe I can't uh, to this date. Ah, still makes me shiver. <laughs> but that led to you reflecting on your life and it led to you thinking, I want to, you know, I want to do something. And you thought about leaving Japan and traveling the world, which you, you did. And you visited many countries, including New Zealand and, and my country, Australia, and you ended up in American Samoa, of yes. all places. Yes. How long did you stay there? Well, I found an apartment that is on the beach, and I, I was dating with American person, and he knows the owner of the apartment, and he talks to the owner, and the owner has relationship with Japanese people long time ago. His grandpa or grandma had a relationship with Japanese fishermen long time okay. ago. And he let me use one of the apartment rooms. That was fun. <laughs> that was a fun experiment experience. You have to read the book. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've, I read all that uh, last night this <laughs> yes. morning. And yeah, you, you found your a second family. Yes. That accepted you and True. 
you still worked for a Japanese company, so you were writing. Yes, I was writing for. They helped me connecting in someone culture and elder people who knows the ancient cultural ceremonies and so forth in Samoa. So they helped me to develop my writing skills and selling this my articles into Japanese magazines and news articles and so forth. They I can't thank them enough. They just embraced me and helped me out. Yeah, you definitely had a unique, um, sounds like you had a unique lifestyle over there and you, you had these neighbours who took you in as family and you were uh, loved and treated well by the community, but th- there were there were problems and there were also scary moments. It is. I recommend people get, get the book and they, they can read about all these personal challenges and, and your life in, in America, Samoa. But let's talk about what you do now. We didn't mention this, but your book, Take Heart, You're Stronger Than You Think, originally you had a title, a different title. Yes. And that was going to be, what was that going to be? That was going to be Genki Habits. And so why did you change the title? That was actually a funny story. I love the title Genki Habits and my one of my editors she she loves sushi and she said, "Oh, Genki means sushi restaurant to me." And <laughs> oh, okay. Me. <laughs> and there is a chain restaurant around the area she lives, and <laughs> her family and her niece came to Zoom meeting. And I love Genki sushi. And then I thought, okay, I have to change. <laughs> you use Genki as an acronym for your coaching method, and I think it would be really interesting for our audience to, to learn a little about how you use Genki. So can we go through your, your Genki habits? Of course. I love that. Awesome. All right. Well, take it away. Okay. Thank you. I developed the Genki methods through my Along my journey, countless people shared their wisdom and insights, and I needed to make it something memorable. My brain doesn't handle very well memorizing stuff, so I use the Genki as an acronym. The core message is that when you are yourself, being yourself, you are the strongest. So whatever happens, you and I both know life is full of ups and downs, Using this Genki method will bring back to yourself, helps you to be yourself. And G, first and foremost, when something ambushes you, if you are like me, I panic and I do something stupid stuff. (laughs) (laughs) To try not to go any, make it worse, get some breathing room. That just one pose makes you, brings back to yourself. You are... I feel like I'm in a laundry machine. Then when I use get something, some breathing room, I can get out myself from laundry machine and seeing the laundry turning. So that's the little distance you get. Now I made it uh, G as a get some breathing room. And next acronym E is embrace who you are. Once you get back to, okay, phew, bad things happen. Now what? The state. 
you need to know who you want to become. Not who you are right now. Don't give up there. Who you want to become. There's a lot of hopes in there. Our mindset plays a big role here. Then we are often busy knowing other people and we don't take time to know ourselves. We adapt. Some people told you who you are and we mm. adapted without thinking, but we deserve more than that. That's the idea. Actually reminds me of, as you know, I've been studying Ikigai a lot, what it actually means ah, to Japanese. Right. And I've, I've read um, Kami Amiko's book and mm-hmm. I've spoken to Japanese authors. And, I mean, going back to get some breathing room, I think it, it's, uh, we could say that in other ways, you know, try to be present um, ah. because, yeah, if we're stuck in the washing machine and we're panicking and reacting, we're just going to be, uh, as you're inferring, stressed and we'll end up making bad decisions. So I like this idea of hang on, stop, get some breathing room. Yes. Be present, just calm down and think. Right. And then E is so important. I think this is a really core aspect of Ikigai is embracing who you want to be. It's about who you want to be and it's not about being your best self. It's about being your true self. True. So I love that aspect. Who do you want to be? If that's in line with your true self, you'd definitely be Genki. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. In my case, I'm simple, so you can go with Genki. And I love the way you mentioned Ikigai. Ikigai cannot be separate Mm. from embrace who you are. So when you feel, now what? What's my Ikigai? What what do I want? Is that embracing who you truly are and core core yourself and sometimes we adopted wrong idea as a fire horse woman i can tell you some lot of people told me that wrong ideas i adapted without thinking and it took too long to realize wait a minute this is my life i can change the way i respond so i was always reacting but became responding so that ikigai is very important the knowing ikigai is essential to embrace who you are. Yeah, that's you've highlighted a big point. Many, many people with good intentions or sometimes bad that they'll tell you who you should be. You know, your parents, yeah. your teachers, yeah. even your best friends. True. They have this expectation of you to be sometimes perhaps someone different to your true self. Yes. As you say, it's important to take the time to think about who you want to be and embrace yourself. Exactly. Because you, you just mentioned a very important point. Because they don't have bad intention, they have good intention, they kindly suggest for us to be better, to adapt better. But sometimes it doesn't really resonate who you are. And that's responsibility is in you. It's mm-hmm. on you. So sometimes step back and think. That's very important. E is essential also embrace who you are and who you are becoming. I agree. So what's what's the next step? Yes. Then you are ready to say, bring it on. <laughs> then N for navigate through changes. That is very important. One really important element you need to remember is that every time when you start something new, you are a beginner again. So you cannot expect to be good at anything when you start something new. 
I was in shock when I started traveling myself by myself outside of my home country. When I, my first country was Australia and Sydney and I couldn't order coffee somehow. I said coffee, please, I thought, but I got <laughs> two coffees and I was puzzling why I have two coffees. <laughs> I don't really know why. <laughs> I was so discouraged. I didn't know the idea of navigate through changes and it's okay to not to be perfect every time. When you grew up in Japan, you can navigate around Tokyo, Yokohama, nice big metropolitan, no problem. But mm. once you get out from your country, you don't have to take off shoe. <laughs> that was big. <laughs> that was big. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you stumble and you got frustrated, but you have to give yourself permission. It's okay. Well, if you didn't give the permission, you wouldn't be walking when you're a baby. How many times baby struggles to just stand up? So you have to remember. Yeah, this is a good point because a lot of people are afraid of change. True. Because they think, well, what if I stuff up? What if I embarrass myself? Life will throw things at you and you have to change. Exactly. As you say, you've got to navigate through these changes to keep moving. Yes. Especially when it's something new. And it reminds me of the, the Japanese idea of the shoshin, the beginner mind. Ah, shoshin. Shoshin. Yeah, shoshin, yes. maybe I, I can't say properly, but... <laughs> The concept, if you approach things from a beginner mind, then you're accepting, okay, well, I'm new to this. That's a good phrase. I'm new to this. Yeah, it's okay if I make mistakes. Right. And obviously with change, you grow as a person. True. Exactly. You, you need this approach of, okay, I'm going to navigate through changes rather than fear and let my ego yes. do the talking Exactly. That's a great point. I'm new to this. Why Why would I expect to be good at it? So that's a very important mindset when you navigate through changes. But as you mentioned, life throws you lemons and curves and everything. So when it comes to setbacks and so forth, we have to deal with the loudest, nastiest voice that is our voice. Our inner mind, inner voice attacks us. So when then it comes to K as be kind to yourself. I was in very difficult situation in American Samoa. And I was really, I didn't know what to do. I didn't get that low for a long time. And I was confused and I felt someone was grabbing my stomach and churning, putting something into it and churning it. Then I remembered my best friend and my conversation and I made a big mistake and I was blaming myself. I'm just so stupid. I cannot do this. I'm bad. I'm, I'm not good enough. And she said to me, hey, if I were suffering, you wouldn't say that to me, would you? And the way she said it, she lives in Australia, by the way. And she said it, that hit me. Oh, that's true. My other best friend said, it's no use adding extra pain when you are suffering. So are you talking the way 
you are talking to yourself, to your best friend? It's one big question. And second is there's no use to adding extra pain by yourself on you. So that's the K. Be kind to yourself. Yeah, I really connected with that passage in your book because it's something I've kind of been teaching myself. But, you know, you'd, you'd never say to your friend constantly, you're an idiot. Like, oh, look, you've stuffed up again. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. But we do it to ourselves constantly, like every day. Exactly. Um, if, especially when we're struggling with life or we've had some stuff-ups or made mistakes. Yes. So, yeah, that was really good advice, you know. You wouldn't treat your best friend. You wouldn't even t- treat a total stranger like no. that. So why why do we do it to ourselves? It's just so unhealthy. and Exactly. Being kind to yourself enables you to really go back to this, this idea of being your true self. Yes. Your true self, it's just better for the world. It's better for everyone around you and, Exactly. The happiness contains, contains, so around you will become happier too. Why not? That's the idea of being, be kind to yourself, be kind to everyone. So why not including yourself? You cannot get out from yourself. So why not? Then I for integrate who you are with how you live. Every day we choose something little or big. That's how we built our life. When we look back, that's a stack of our choices. So mm. when you make choice, be conscious about it. And if you don't like it, it's your life. Change the direction. You don't have to change everything drastically 180 degrees, but you can change the direction. Then you will see big difference one year later, 10 years later, before you know it, 10 years passed like, yeah, this is really interesting because it reminds me of um, one of Kami Miyako has seven needs mm. in order to, I guess, live or express your ikigai. And she talks about freedom. And she says, we don't really have freedom, mm. but we have the freedom to make choices. So despite life's constraints, we, we have the freedom to choose and Whatever we choose is an expression of who we are and it should align with our values. This really connects to that idea of, you know, integrate who you are with how you live. And every day we make small choices. Right. Sometimes we make big, big choices. But even the small choices can lead to big things. True. And it is your life at the end of the day. It is. And I have a few people in my life who... They focus on past regret mm. and they regretting, oh, I made this choice so long ago and my life would be so different from now. And what they don't realize is you're, you're choosing to go back there. Right. Right now you can make a completely different choice that would change your future and maybe in five or ten years you'd be looking back thinking, exactly. thank God I made that choice, yeah. Something you can thank of yourself later. Yeah, exactly. So this is a really good uh, framework. And to me, it still connects. All, all of these connect to what I've been studying about Ikigai. And that's obviously part of the reason I wanted you to come on the podcast. 
But what I also loved about your book is how you dealt with some of your challenges and what you shared from your own mentors. One was a, I think he was your employer from a bakery. Right. And whenever, there were a few examples in in the book, but I think one was when you had the opportunity to use a a large machine that blended or kneaded right. oh, thank you. flour and <laughs> yes. butter and yes. pretty big machine and scary. And he taught you this expression before, but he said, a channel your inner samurai. Yes. Um, breathe and, and channel your inner samurai. What, what did he say in Japanese? You, uh, Kimi no samurai wo yobi nasai. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's cool, yeah. Bring out your own samurai and... So that seemed to really help you. Yes, it's been like four decades, but I still remember. And so you go back to that phrase? Quite often. Quite often? Yeah. Yes, the samurai. I made it to myself just a samurai, samurai as a trigger word. If something happens, samurai, samurai. I have, I have samurai in me, I have samurai in me. And in, in Japanese, samurai, samurai. <laughs> Twice. You have to say twice. Like a Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> no, no, that's just me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but aren't you your descendant of samurai? Yes. Yes. You do mention one samurai in your book or your friends mention, or you say your friends were always reminding you that you talk about this samurai, Oda Nobunaga. Yes. I love him. <laughs> Who was Nobunaga? When Japan was formed, there are three samurais in the role and Oda Nobunaga was the first warlord to bring Japanese in u- unity. It used to be like a little region there, region there and tribal, yeah. tribal there, tribal there. And Oda Nobunaga was created the base to make it Japan, Japan. Unfortunately, he was too fiery and he made a lot of enemies and he was killed, assassinated. So then next samurai will break down a little bit more. Then Tokunaga Ieyasu, the famous shogun, is there to take over. Then he created Edo and Edo era, 200 years of stable era. And is that when Japan unified? Yes, unified, and he closed the country. And I don't like Tokunaga Ieyasu (laughs) because he closed the country. We lost 200 years of learning from the other countries, but that did help develop our own unique culture. So it's a pros and cons, but I still love the, someone who has a lot of fire in his heart and brings all energy to unite the old tribes into one region. That is a huge effort to make, and he succeeded. Sounds like Oda was the spark. Yes. Maybe the spark that made it happen. Exactly. Um, and yeah. as a fire horse, the spark of fire always resonates me. And, oh, goodness, I just love the era, samurai era. And when my friends and, and I are talking, and when I started talking about Oda Nobunaga, they say, oh, okay, okay, I've heard <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> more than enough. I can't stop. <laughs> I'll have to look into him. And- yes, please. <laughs> The fascinating guy. Awesome. Yeah. So there's this theme in the book, life is hard and you, you get these 
challenges or blows or bad things happen. And obviously in your case, you, from a young child, you were suggested to you constantly that you were the cause of True. bad luck. But in, in your book, you have is this theme of channel you, you're in a samurai. <laughs> yes. And there's another really cool expression, which is nanakorobi yaoki. Yes. Yeah, do you want to say that? Of yeah. course. Nanakorobi yaoki means uh, to fall seven times and rise eight. So when we experience bad things, how many times it, it happens to you, you get knocked down everything, you get up again one more time. And it's a Japanese concept of resilience. And resilience is a big theme in my life and my book and my coaching. So nanakorobi yaoki is often used in my session. This is getting popular and foreigners or non-Japanese love, love this word. Ah. And it really goes back to the Japanese. As you said, Japanese are very resilient people. They have um, <laughs> yeah. Just in terms of all the natural disasters and, and things they have to face. And so it also reminds me of the gambari spirit. Ah, gambarimasu. Yes. But also there's gamman. Also Japanese can withstand a lot of, they can endure a lot of pain and True. tragedy. But something you also mentioned that's particularly personal to you is one of your mum's favourite poems or maybe a, a line from one of her favourite poems, which is, if winter comes, can spring be far behind? Ah, it's just lovely poem. and My mum often said it again and again when we were in the darkest hours, it's temporary. Whatever the hardships are, it's, none of them are eternal. It's going to pass. It shall pass. So that gives us hope. When we are hit by something bad and we couldn't handle it, and losing hope is losing everything sometimes. we Only we had is hope. And in my dad's case, mom was the last hope. Mom was his ikigai. And when mom passed away, my dad couldn't handle it. And I didn't expect my my dad crumble down. My dad is a bigger version of me, Genki. Big Genki person became really depressed and crying and so forth and just lost hope. Losing hope can cause unimaginable pain to one person. Now, your dad, I mean, your dad suffered a few blows, which you talk about in your book. He was a very successful businessman yes. and he had he had his fair share of challenges that seemed to bounce back. But um, one, obviously one particular year, was that during the bubble or maybe before the bubble? When Before the bubble. Before the bubble, yes. But when you lose the, the love of your life, your Ricky guy, you might lose hope. True. That was hard to read. I Oh, gosh, this is um, a hard start for you when you were a young teenager and losing losing your mother and seeing your father disintegrate. And That was hard. <laughs> That's why I love coming back to these ideas of channel your inner samurai. Right. Yaoki. And 
I think what we're going through now with COVID, um, I've, I've never really talked about COVID and I didn't want to use COVID as a, a way to, you know, promote right. my website, Nikki Guy. Mm-hmm. So I haven't really done a COVID episode, but this line from this poem is really, I think we can relate it to COVID, you know. True. We're sort of in this COVID winter, so right. spring behind and we will get over it. We will. But you have this wisdom of we are the strongest when we honour who we are. Right. It's really cool. Yes, it took me too long to realise it. I tried to get uh, approval. I wanted to be approved. So I tried to be someone else, someone who wasn't me. But I get more yeah, you did good kind of approval. I tried really hard. And after I got, re- you, you did good. And I feel I, f- I was a flawed. I was cheating. And that's not me. I was just, I, I cheated them good. So that's, what's the point? I wasn't really strong. But when I started being myself, I rebelled a lot of people. But I realized that... <laughs> The world is still big. Some people embrace me and some people don't like me. That's okay. So developing myself as giving myself okay to be myself, what I like, what I don't like to express is kind of courtesy to the other people to let them know who I am so they can know you. they want to be friends with me or not up front. That's fair, I thought. That's the beauty of being middle-aged woman. Well, I can't imagine anyone not liking you. <laughs> Thank you. You sort of became a, a good friend through through Twitter, which obviously is social media, and I'm not a huge fan of social media, and I think going back to your point that, yeah, we, we want to be liked and accepted and yes, we try to use social media to gain approval and construct these images of ourselves that are where we're happy, I'm happy, I'm taking a photo of myself. <laughs> yes. Nope. Not, I don't think it's very healthy, but social media can help connecting strangers. True. And that's what happened for us. So yes. I'm not totally against it. And what you sharing was beautiful because you were sharing not your neighbourhood, I guess your, I mean, it is your neighbourhood, but your environment where you <laughs> live. And yes, I love hiking. Yes. To take these beautiful photos right. almost several times a week. Yes. I'm lucky enough to drive up to these, these beautiful places in less than an hour or sometimes it's 30 minutes, 20 minutes. I can go to the field, the beach, and no one's around. It's, even it's COVID, no one's around it. And then that gives me some room to breathe. And I'm very lucky. And why don't I share? But unfortunately, my phone is getting old. I need to replace. My camera doesn't work this week, and I'm frustrated. Oh. Well, hopefully we'll get you some book sales and <laughs> you can buy a new, uh, new phone. Thank you. There's something you don't know. You helped me understand a word. You sent video footage, about 10 seconds of autumn leaves falling. I think I left a comment saying, oh, it's, you know, it's beautiful. And is ah, it? I remember. The tinge of wabi-sabi. And you said, yes, I sensed it. And when you said sensed it, 
that really helped me understand wabi-sabi is not an adjective. It's, it's something you sense and it changes your mind state. Mm. It's fleeting and it's short, but when you see it, ah. you kind of feel, just in that moment, you feel better and maybe even afterwards you feel better. Right. But you don't go around saying, oh, I just had a wabi-sabi moment and my life's better. It's, it's more personal, <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yes. Thank you. Yes. That's good point. Wabi-sabi is not something you can take or you can recharge or anything. You just encounter and sense it, feel it. Then somehow it fills up our mind in some good vibe, we could say. That's a great word. And so is Genki. So I'd like to end with a quote from your book. I think it's important, meaningful, and connected to me. So I'll just read it. Every scar you have is a reminder that you've suffered the pain and the suffering. You've endured. You've made it through. You now have a deeper understanding and greater compassion towards others' struggles. You and I both know that a pain-free life doesn't exist, but we can always choose the right pain, the pain that helps us grow, the kind that leaves a scar that we can be proud of. Take heart, my friend. You are stronger than you think. And to add to that, there's a story your brother told you that really connected with me. I've actually imagined this myself, but your brother tells you, imagine you're in hospital right. and you're, you're, you're basically you're on your deathbed and you're, you're regretting your life that you didn't do certain things, you didn't make choices. And then you see a woman next to you, similar in age, and she's got all these scars and it's clear she's maybe she struggled with life and you, you end up talking saying, oh, you look like you've had a hard life. This lady's like, oh, no, I had a great life. These are just battle scars. You realise it's the different version of you. Could have been you. Yes. That was the scariest story I have ever heard. <laughs> It really connected with me and I thought that's great advice from, from your brother. Right. The story still lives me and sometimes brings back to the mountaintop when, where we had that conversation. And do I live the way uh, I want to be or am I just playing safe? Am I going to be regretting afterwards? What he said... He made a situation. I was 129 years old. <laughs> that, that was funny. <laughs> and what if I become 129 years old and then full of regrets instead of yeah, full of satisfaction? And that often stops me to take a pause to think, is this the way I want to be? I still make mistakes, but <laughs> that gives me good, good. Uh, pose. I mean, to frame the story differently, but for me, it'd probably be my version of hell that you, like, you, you die ah. and then you meet, not, not the better version of yourself, but you meet your true self and you you meet, you have all these memories that I was afraid to make this decision. Right. And you realize I could have had this life and the people around me could have had a better life. True. For whatever reason you make, you just you don't be your true self because you're afraid or 
Right. You, you respond to what other people tell you to be or you're not willing to do the hard work. or So that really connected with me. So, yeah, thank you. Right. Well, that's that's points exactly I get. I was getting from my brother too. I think that's something I wish I could thank your brother, but um, I think he passed away. Yes, unfortunately, I'm the last one. I'm scared. <laughs> I have to, I have this responsibility to live for them. Then adapt to. I really have to live to 129 years old. You get lots of scars. Yes, <laughs> I connected to your brother. So through your book. That's really wonderful. Thank you. If our listeners are interested and they want to purchase your book, Take Heart, where, where should they go? If you're in Australia, Fishpond and all over the world, Amazon, or you can ask your local bookstore if you would like to have a paperback, you can go to your local store and have them order for you. And if you're a digital reader, Barnes & Noble, or Amazon, Pitchpond, a lot of online store has it. And search my name, M-I-S-A-K-O-Y-O-K-E. That will bring the book. I only had that book. But you had some books uh, you're teaching English English to Japanese, yeah? Yeah. Right. So that's uh, Misako Yoke? Yes. If people want to contact you for coaching, where, where could they go? MisakoYoke.com or Twitter. Okay, Twitter. Yeah, go to Twitter if you want to also yes. get beautiful photos and video. Of, uh, <laughs> Enjoy yeah. my photos. Thank you, Misako, so much for writing the book and for coming on to the podcast to talk about it. Well, thank you so much for having me. That was my pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure too. This episode was brought to you by the Find Your Ikigai course. Developed in consultation with Japan's leading Ikigai researchers, the Find Your Ikigai course is the only culturally accurate and evidence-based practical guide to the Ikigai concept. To learn more about the Find Your Ikigai course, please visit ikigaitribe.com.